Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
been returned to Israel and are like dreamers. All the leaders of the world are trying to understand how, while our people flood back in from all the nations, and after centuries of tears, we see you, Hashem, in everything and await your warm embrace of full redemption.
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning broadcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Yaakov Shweki with Aish Lavado. That's Ohad. Brand new, of course, off the Bishatava album. Israel Bill Vavot. Incredible cast, including Ohad and FDD's Kinderlach and um, Itzik Dadia. And our very own Simon Jacob with that beautiful single. Bishatova, that's also brand new from Ohad, his title track, Solomon Brothers with Shoshana. 
Ari Goldwag with Moshe, and of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Boy, the way I sound on this Friday morning. I can, uh, <laughs> I remember in the old days, Mrs. Strassman, who was such an amazing volunteer and member of the JMAM family par excellence, when I would come back from one of these trips and have completely uh, overdone it and, you know, spent a lot of time on airplanes and not being that concerned about my health, etc. She would uh, she would call at some point on a morning like this and uh, reprimand me, <laughs> reprimand me for not uh, not paying more attention, um, not wearing a jacket at night during those uh, Jerusalem winds that cause it to uh, that cause the temperature to drop. Anyway, here we are on a Friday morning. It is the twelfth of October, the third day in the month of Maracheshvan, the year five seven. Seven nine. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Noach. Candle lighting time in New York, six p.m. Candle lighting in New York, six p.m. Uh, we'll do some music. Malcolm Honline coming up at seven forty Eastern time. He is the executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. So he will join us. We'll get the weekly update, discuss some of the news of the week. Or by Uden, of course, coming up. Plenty more on this Friday, including an amazing and incredible. Table for two with uh, Naomi Nachman. Um, when we were in Israel, Naomi was there at the same time this week. And we got together and um, she hosted, uh, uh, overlooking the old city, the most incredible episode of Table for Two. So those of you who uh, love Naomi, and so many in our audience do, and those of you who want to hear a real foodie kosher incredible show uh get ready you're gonna hear it um you're gonna hear it this morning starting at 9 a.m eastern time right here at uh, the nachum siegel network more coming up keep it here at jm in the a.m i 
JM in the AM Friday morning broadcast on this era of Shabbos. Era of Shabbos Parshas Noach with candle lighting time at 6 p.m. on this, uh, in the New York area at least, on this era of Shabbos. Thanks for joining us here at the JM in the AM. Uh, Malcolm Holmline is going to join us. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He'll be with us coming up 7.40 Eastern time here at JM in the AM. We're having trouble with our uh, news from Israel. I'm not quite sure why. Over the last couple of days, um, the system's been a little quirky, and we've had a uh, a difficult time bringing to you uh, directly uh, the Galitzal top of the hour news. So we will uh, look into it. Hopefully by Monday this will be resolved, and we'll be able to uh, present it on a regular basis. We're live from New York City. We are JM in the AM. It's the Nachum Siegel Network. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. We've got plenty more coming up, including, as we said, Malcolm Holmline this hour, Rabbi Yudin uh, coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, uh, and of course uh, we ask all of you to just stay tuned in and continue to enjoy JM in the AM.
Thank you. 
to sing your song We sing come the seventh day The seventh day of every week Each up is our day of rest For the one above we look our best Sing a song of praise Shabbos we shall keep Ms. Marshir Leo Shabbos Ms. Marshir
Jam in the AM. The Moshav Band on a Jam in the AM Friday morning era of Shabbos. Erev Shabbos Parshas Noach with candlelighting at 6 p.m. in New York. Just go. Oh, well, yeah, we'll get to that song in a second. I just got the um, an amazing app comment. An amazing app comment. One that I don't consider sometimes in terms of who's listening and where. Um, just got a comment from someone. Hi, Nachum Siegel. Sending you a Shabbat Shalom from the middle of the desert of Israel. Sahal appreciates the music. Unbelievable. Kolakavod lachem. Thank you. Thanks for listening, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. But those of you who are listening as you defend the land and state of Israel, what an honor. What an honor. Ms. Marshir, that was the Moshav band. Before that, Ms. Marshir from Aryeh Kunstler. Uzi with Shalshelis Jr. You heard Sandy Shmueli in there with Adon Alam. Mordechai Shapiro and Had Hashem Melech. Bowie Kala was Micha Gamerin. Benny Friedman with Shalom Aleichem. And Simcha Liner opened up the hour with the third medley on Project Relax. Israeli edition. Had to let the music roll because I can barely talk on this Friday morning era of Shabbos. Thanks for tuning in from around the world. Thanks for all the comments about our broadcasting and programming from Israel. Much appreciated. Bahab starts on Monday. Keep that in mind if you're a Gabbai tomorrow. On this era of Shabbos, Parshas Noah, I remind you that candlelighting in New York is 6 p.m., 6 p.m. Make sure you know when things start where you are. All righty. Friday morning broadcast, and we will continue with this selection. And then Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, will join us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning. Keep it right here at JM in the AM.
JM and the AM. That was Isaac B. Tone and Rava Mehemna. With Lachad Dodi from Songs for a Brother. Before that, the Moshav Band here at JM and the AM. 7.43, 17 minutes before 8 o'clock on this Friday morning. Before we get to the weekly update, a couple of things. First of all, uh, when we were in Israel, it was great that Naomi Nachman was there at the same time and we had the opportunity to corroborate. Would that be right? Collaborate? That would be better. Uh, collaborate, and um, she put together a supersized table for two from the Inbal in Jerusalem, from the presidential suite porch, which is just remarkable. So coming up at 9 o'clock, those of you who are fans, and she's got a lot of them, Naomi Nachman, table for two from Jerusalem, with Danielle Renoff of Peas, Love, and Carrots, um, Rachel Yaish and Tamar Lisman of Candy Corner, Israel, Amichai Luria of the Shiloh Winery, Tova from Matova in Israel, Jamie Geller, from Joy of Kosher, and of course the GM of the Inbal, our good friend Ronnie Timzit. So that's all happening at uh, 9 o'clock Eastern Time right after JM and the AM. Stay tuned. It is a supersized edition of Table for Two with all those stars. I know every one of those names means a lot in the world of uh, kosher food and the kosher blogging. So uh, that'll all be coming up here at the Nahum Siegel Network. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. If you haven't yet printed out before Shabbos, thousands of articles having to do with Israel and the Jewish world, we recommend you go to that website and do so, jewishworldreview.com. And of course, to our friends at onlysimchas.com, who continue to utilize our content for so many of the great stories they post in their news feed. Check the feed out every day at onlysimchas.com. And I apologize for the way my voice feels, or the way my voice sounds, rather. Uh, Obviously, sometime between uh, Jerusalem and here, um, I picked up something. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. And it's good to be with you and hear you, even even in bad voice. I appreciate that. I have to acknowledge <laughs> But that. you got Shabbos to recuperate. Let's hope. Believe you me, by Monday it better be much better. Malcolm, I want to start with your favorite topic, if you don't mind. The earliest written inscription of the word Jerusalem, written in Hebrew, on a 2,000-year-old column drum unveiled on Tuesday at a press conference at the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. The limestone column drum that dates back to the Second Temple period was discovered 10 months ago at an excavation site near the Binyanei Haoma, the International Convention Center in Jerusalem. Your reaction well, first of all, it's a very exciting uh, um, discovery because it's the earliest ever inscription of Jerusalem's full name uh, as we spell it today. And, uh, there, you know, there have been other um, uh, spellings and other descriptions of Shalem, etc. But here you have 2,100 years old Hebrew inscription and the uh, that we still don't know the full setting of the and as more uh, of the uh, exploration of the site, I think we'll find out more. But the uh, the stone column may have been on the outside of a house, uh, and it said uh, Hanania, the son of uh, Dadalus, I think was what it said of Jerusalem. So maybe it was his uh, front door identification or an advertisement or something. But the uh, the this is the oldest inscription bearing the Jewish name, and this comes at a week when UNESCO once again mm, that's right. goes and and um, it, it reaffirms 
at the Kamar Samachpela and the Kevarachel, as they did earlier with the Kotel and, and other sites, you know, says these are Palestinian, uh, these are part of the Palestinian property and territory. And this, you know, it's just, it's incredible. And it's so rare to find something that mentions Jerusalem during the temple periods. And, and usually they had an abbreviation uh, of it, and having this fully spelled out. I mean, if somebody doesn't understand that this is a unique message, and that this is a... Um, I think it's only that there was a coin that was found from the time of the Great Revolt against the Romans at the end of the Second Temple period, where it was um, it was spelled out uh, as well. So there's still more to be found. There's more to, to know about it, but the um, and the, and there are the references to uh, this name uh, Daedalus as a Jewish uh, Daedalus, um, and they were craftsmen. It probably was an uh, ancient pottery factory, <laughs> and uh, because that was unearthed in the uh, so this might have been a big. Uh, Open market for uh, um, or market for for pottery, cooking pottery probably that uh, as people you know came to Jerusalem could buy. Yeah, the area where it was found is pretty cool for us because we generally consider that now the center of Jerusalem. Frankly, so you know to say, to think that that's the way it was two thousand years ago is also pretty cool. It's amazing. Um, and at the same time, as you said, UNESCO, so UNESCO claimed, or at least their committee claimed, that they tried to water down or tried to adjust things to be a little bit more palatable to the Israelis, to the Jewish people around the world, but I guess that didn't work, huh? It not only didn't work, it's just a reaffirmation, and Israel said, look, we're pulling out anyway, so you do whatever you think you need to do. We're not going to be impacted by it. The United States is already out of it. Uh, but all the promises of the moderation of the place, you know, of of their policy, and that uh, we'd see a new era, it shows that, that uh, it's come to naught that they could reaffirm this. And I think it's time now to to do a major campaign to get countries to put to up or shut up to say to these to the especially to the Christian countries of Europe. Now that you've seen the result of this, that this is a, a, a refutation, a denial of Christian history of 2,000 years and Jewish history of, of almost 3,000 years or more than 3,000 years, that this is time that that you you now put up or shut up, and we we get them to remove it. There's the new uh, director who who is Jewish from Morocco. Um, and we have to see it, it's not her vote and her decision, you know, completely alone to 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 make. But now we have to see what what, what the UN what direction they're going, whether there is any change, because this is such a fundamental challenge. And and I think, you know, you can look at this mystically about the this the discovery in right. in Yerushalayim of the of the name and of the thing to to refute. All of these challenges, and especially after the first Rashi that we read last week on, mm-hmm. on Bereshis, right. where, you know, the, uh, Rabbi Yitzchak points out that why does it begin with the story of the creation of the world and not the first mitzvah? Why does the Torah begin? And he said, because there'll come a time when they will say, listen, Matem, you're, you're, you're robbers. You stole this land. Hello? And, he, I mean, they saw the New York Times from 2,000 <laughs> years earlier. That's right. And, uh, but, but, but. The real question, and Shemshor uh, Paul Hirsch points out, is not that the non-Jews will have questions. When Jews don't have questions, and uh, I heard Rabbi point out 
that that this is an attempt to separate the Jews from Jerusalem. They, they instill these questions and these doubts because they're trying to break us and to take us away from the source of our inspiration and, and our um, dedication by, by raising these doubts and by, by uh, sowing these uh, seeds of, of uh, division. Look, I don't blame the enemy for the efforts that they make uh, that you just described. I blame our own people around the world who unfortunately are falling prey to it and are, uh, and are sometimes hopping on the same bandwagon, frankly. So many of the, of the discussions that we had over the last three days in Jerusalem with different people was that we are o- our own worst enemy. So you see that, uh, uh, unfortunately, people in our own tradition don't understand at all the connection between us and Jerusalem, or they believe the propaganda, and as you say, they try. You know, they they get sucked into that whole uh, um, a point of view as well. Uh, by the way, on the Kevin Rachel thing, I don't have the notes in front of me. I don't know why I can't find it. Didn't I read in that UNESCO statement that even Kevin Rachel is important to all three religions? Like, I mean, that that's absurd already. That would that would. I mean, Marat Machbela, we understand why someone might you know write that it's important to all three religions, but but Kevin Rachel is that is that you know their normal practice? Yes, well, since since Kevarajo was included with the other sites uh, over the last couple of years, as they progressively uh, restricted the Jewish Association, Christian Association, with it, now that now um, they're saying that the, these are integral parts of quote the occupied Palestinian territory, and the um, and the, they've included. But Kevarajo was called Kutab Rachel mm. in every Arab League document in every historically in every Muslim and Arab document. There was never a challenge about this, and now all of a sudden it's a mosque, and and uh, no longer <coughs> it's original and long-standing association sustained. Yeah, understood. All right, we mentioned UNESCO. We'll stay with the UN for a second. The news this week of Nikki Haley's resignation. Uh, what was, to someone like yourself, was this as, as shocking as it was to the rest of us? Well, I can tell you, it was shocking to people in the administration who told me this yesterday that they were they, that they didn't know it was coming. Although there had been reports and rumors that she she wanted to to leave already a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you know she's she's done an amazing job at the United Nations, and hopefully her successor will be equally a strong advocate. I mean, obviously it it uh, reflects. The administration that they represent, but ambassadors at UN usually have more leeway in terms of their speeches. Our policy, overall policy, is set by the administration. So the strong stand that that they took in, in pulling out of the agencies and cutting funding, et cetera, uh, came from the president and the secretary of state and others had to support it. But I think that this is uh, the, the, her uh, ability to articulate and do so in, in such a forceful and impactful way. Is there anything from the backstory that you could share with this audience? Anything? I don't think that uh, no, that there's much of a backstory. I know there will be a lot of speculation uh, that she's running for office or that she wants to do other things or she maybe just people should just listen and accept the, the explanation that, that she gave, and that is that uh, she had wanted out. And, you know, these are very exhausting jobs. Two years is a, is a long time to um, 20 months. It, should, it will be two years by the time she leaves. She's not leaving till the end of the year. So there's no crisis that forced it that I can see. There's speculation she may run against the president. She said no, and uh, I think you should take her at face value that she won't run against him in 2020. Maybe she's looking to run in 2024, Um, but she had a great pulpit. If that was her interest, I mean, she had a great 
platform to to you know be heard and to continue. So you never know. Any name you'd like to toss out there for a potential successor? I'm tossing. You're tossing them around. All these names. <laughs> I'm tossing some names, but you know we'll, we'll see. So we, there's no clear cut anybody at the moment, and uh, no. and as you just confirmed for us. A lot of people in Washington were just as surprised as everybody else around the world. Right. Um, uh, this uh, horrific terror attack earlier in the week in Israel, uh, in an area that generally in, 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 a, in, a, um, in a factory, in, an, in a work area, that's generally considered to be one of cooperation between Jews and Arabs. First of all, has the, uh, has the murderer been found yet? No. And, I know that they were searching as of yesterday evening, and... Uh, this is a, a, a really an unusual case because, um, for one thing, people don't know about the, the Barkhane area, that you have 3,300 Palestinians and a like number of Israelis working together every single day. You know, this is uh, there's no United Nations resolutions or no New York Times stories and no NPR uh, reports highlighting the cooperation and the uh, day-to-day interaction and uh, camaraderie that that is developed there and this he was a, an employee who had been fired so we don't know the exact motivation uh, and I'm sure that they'll find out that there was some condition whatever but the because he didn't it kill everybody he passed he, he selectively and chose the, the victims and it's a tragedy that the the woman was a had a one-year-old child and the uh, the gentleman had a, has three 35 year old man had uh, three children but the the you know one has to look at the overall incitement. You have Abbas's key religious advisor, the most important religious figure in the PA, the Supreme Sharia Judge uh, Al Habash, um, who was appointed by uh, Abbas as his personal advisor on Islam, says that the war against the religious war against Israel is on. That this culture of Satan and they represent evil, the enemies of Islam. The you have. Uh, uh, other uh, instigation, uh, including uh, reaffirming the ban on on selling territory to to Jews, right. and the um, uh, you know the world doesn't react. The new study by Arnon Gross shows the uh, PA textbooks are, are worse than ever, and uh, it, it, he said that it was a depressing change for the worse, and this will will. Uh, after other countries, and especially Egypt, having introduced new textbooks, the uh, King of Morocco this past week introduces a Holocaust curriculum in the high schools. And here you have the the, the, the textbooks there um, demean what happened in Oslo, uh, and they're only mentioned in, in passing, not as the beginning uh, of peace process or anything, so that you have them being raised on this text, the constant incitement. And it's important because people don't... The media does not report uh, on the uh, atmosphere that has been created that you have indoctrination when they talk about why a peace process can't succeed. It's not because only hardened Zionist positions, etc., and that Abbas doesn't have any interest in, in reaching an agreement. It's because they, they have this incitement and the continued payments to the terrorists, to the killers, like the one at Barkhan, who, who will receive a stipend uh, for uh, carrying out the act that he did. And, and Pompeo, Secretary of State Pompeo, and I was there when he said 
that day he cut $165 million to the PA under the Taylor Force Act, which, as you know, was in, in, enacted uh, recently because of their of their uh, funding from, from of terror. And as long as, as the law is enforced, uh, that they had a they they can they are barred the state department is barred from continuing to give money to the Palestinian Authority uh, other than security cooperation until it stops compensating the murderers and the terrorists and their their families and so there is a, a whole pattern here that does not get uh, uh, acknowledged or does, you don't see the condemnations as you do. When Israel moves, you saw again. Well, we'll talk about the tunnel, but the the um, uh, actions at the International Court of Justice, the uh, incitement that goes on in so many different uh, venues that that, uh, that escape any kind of condemnation. People get tired of it, or they they don't look at it. And the biggest expression to me of this is the is the fact you saw the the reports that there have been a thousand. 53 fires by now. I know there were six more yesterday since that report came out in the six months. 3,000 acres of farmland and I think 4,000 acres of, of forests have been destroyed. Now think about that and think about it in other countries that just this is a purely a tax against civilians. A balloon, one of these terror balloons, was found in Jerusalem, made it all the way to Jerusalem. And they they have killed uh, wildlife and animals. The children living near the border of Gaza uh, having respiratory problems and stuff. And no, no environmentalists, no all, all of the others who who would jump on Israel criticize them for everything, single thing that they can. And it's not to be dismissed that people don't care about that the, the Jewish victims and exaggerate and. And attack Israel, and I, I will tell you that I think the attack on the, the Saudi guy by the in a couple of days somehow they'll blame Israel for that. Too. Oh come on! <laughs> no, that's facetious. Yeah. And th- 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 that was horrific as well. Uh, and that news just came out. So he, that's it. He's gone, right? I mean, they 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 made sure the Saudi Arabians made sure to take care of him. And officially, was he a U.S. citizen or not? I, I don't think he was a U.S. citizen that I know of. I, I didn't see that, but. Uh, we don't know. Ultimately, the Turks claim that they have audio and video right. uh, of it, which tells you that they have how they've um, installed or, or had listening devices and even uh, uh, video devices inside the uh, the, the, the Saudi uh, consulate. But the um, you know it's 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 an incomprehensible event. You know, kidnappings and disappearances take place. Unfortunately, a lot in different countries, but the, the question here is sending hit teams at what did the, what was the real intent? People say they wanted to kidnap. You know, we don't know. I'm sure there'll be a lot of books and films and things about this coming out, but the um, but it's it's created quite a crisis. And in Washington, you know, there are members of Congress who have already introduced uh, measures to cut arms sales and other things, which, as the president pointed out, is not only a uh, hundred billion dollar loss to the American economy and jobs, but the relationship with Saudi Arabia is central to to our efforts in the Middle East, and uh, this will put a lot of pressure uh, on it. On the other point, uh, so it's important to remember that uh, that even even environmental politics uh, has politics in it. Um, if it was another country, if it was a uh, if it was another type of situation, you may see 
environmentalists around the world screaming and yelling about what's going on and how many acres of land are being destroyed. Uh, but in this case, nobody says a word. They don't say a word about it. And the, you know, when you look at these numbers, it's it, they're overwhelming. When you think about it, that every day, 9, 10, 15, and uh, I spoke with Conricus, the uh, uh, spokesman for the IDF, and uh, and he said that yesterday, six fires, they don't get reported. Nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about the economic impact, the destruction of lives, of of uh, farms and, and wildlife and trees and forests. Nobody talks about that. And this is not something that comes back 10 minutes later. You know, it's, it's, it's not a... You know, a factory building that you just reconstruct, and people don't even take into consideration it becomes run-of-the-mill, and they are organized. And when you hear from uh, the IDF about how how it, it is organized and the challenges they face uh, every day, literally every day, and how they know the schedule, that on Mondays it's a naval attack, on Fridays it's attacks against the border, each day has a set schedule for what attacks are to t- take place. And they and they are they are paid to come. It's not just spontaneous, and it's uh, as you know organized as to how the order in which they appear at at, at these um, at these demonstrations. And at the same time, we find that the Israel found the fifteenth terror tunnel in a year. And thanks to new technology, we're able to detect it. It went two hundred meters into Israel from Gaza. Mm. And when you look at the infrastructure now, when you see how much money they invest there, all of those who scream and yell about the cutting of the funds to, to Gaza, how come they have a, a, a fortune to spend? It's a, it's a huge infrastructure, these tunnels, and they, they build them deeper and further uh, in, in Gaza, which means that they cost even more. Unbelievable. America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com. On the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app, Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Should Lara, Lara Al-Qasem be detained by Israeli authorities? Should a BDSer or somebody who seems to be, and I'll be careful what word I use, a mild BDSer compared to some others, be detained in Israel? I don't know the um, details of each case and what information Israel has, uh, neither about what they've done in the past, nor or, or perhaps they have information about their intent uh, when they come to Israel. But no country has an obligation to let in people who incite or who, who campaign against them. Uh, it, it has to be a judicious judgment. Uh, you don't just uh, blanket apply it and uh, Israelis, uh, people who were detained, some of them were, were certainly inappropriate. But it's not a, a black and white uh, thing that everybody who comes to Israel should be should be admitted. If they're engaged in BDS, which is a campaign against Israel's right to exist, I don't know that a country has an obligation. I'm sure we keep people out. I mean, I know we do, uh, who pose security threat or who engage in anti-American uh, activity. Uh, I, I, I think that they should review the, the basis on which these judgments are made, but the world seems to feel that they have an obligation to advocate for everybody, and anybody has to be able to get into Israel. Right. I don't think that's the case. And that, and, and that uh, includes anybody, even if they're... If, uh, the reason I said mild before is because they're trying to paint her as somebody who just was, you know, 
part of some college associations and that uh, and that had they, they even went out of their way to point out that she had gone and attended some Holocaust courses and other things. Um, and that's how the media is playing it, that you know, you're taking somebody who really just has a desire to you know, become academically challenged in Israel uh, and, you're, uh, and you know, even, even her, even her, a mild BDSer, is being detained. By the way, Brett Stevens was outspoken about this, and I was curious if you agree that, uh, that his anti-Trumpness has, has had an effect on his support of Israel. Would you agree with that? There are people who say it. Uh, I'm surprised by some of the things that uh, he has written. He is clearly uh, uh, against the president and ties that in as, as uh, others do. But uh, I, I think that, that, you know, here you have a, a, a campaign. The BDS campaign is not an economic war against Israel. Israel's economy is not impacted. This past month, $500 million in new investments. It's going to be a record year again. The Israel's economy, thank God, is flourishing. And you see the Palestinians protesting it and saying, look, you're cutting the jobs from us when you do BDS. So it, it is not about justice, and not a, et cetera. It is a campaign against Israel's right to exist. It is basically anti-Semitism in, in a fancier gown. You saw the case in Michigan this week where the professor who, profe- who refused to write a letter. Recommendation of, letter, of right? Recommendation for, because somebody wanted to study in Israel, and it turns out that there was more than one. But thank God the university finally took steps to uh, uh, punish and to, to sanction the professor and wrote a letter uh, about him, and he didn't, he's not getting his automatic raise when he's supposed to. It's, it's not any kind of severe punishment, I don't think, but it's it's certainly the public recognition and the public acknowledgement that this is unacceptable behavior, and uh, we, we and we as a community and others who care about Israel, who care about these values, can't be indifferent to it and just say, well, anybody can, you know, it's freedom of speech, you can go and, and do whatever you want. No, there has to be some standard. There has to be some basis. People are free to differ with Israel, and they can certainly differ over policies of Israel. Uh, but you you can't engage in these campaigns and say Israel has an obligation to let you come in and continue those those activities. I don't. Again, we can't evaluate each individual case. You have to know all the details and whatever the interrogation found. Uh, and uh, Israel has to be judicious in the way that it applies it. By the way, uh, one of the guests, we you, you speak about the economy and uh, how Israel's flourishing. One of the guests we spoke to this week was John Medved, and the, the Chinese investment in Israel is, is just hard to believe. It's unbelievable. not just the government and the way that their leaders come and uh, try to abridge the gaps between China and Israel in terms of technology, but private investment as well. I met this week here with the uh, uh, Chinese business people who are interested in investing in Israel. I've met them in Israel, and it's uh, it's incredible the the number of people who are coming in and tourism from China. Well, I think will reach 150,000 this year or next. And the you, you, when you travel around Israel, you see the delegations, mostly tourists and people come to visit, uh, but the, the numbers are, are increasing and the investment and joint operations, joint uh, initiatives, um, you know, there's some hesitancy about the, the rules and et cetera when it comes to, to doing it, for especially for startups and China, Chinese companies usually want a big stake in, in the enterprises, but clearly the the investment, the amount of money being invested is, is uh, growing and 
the our crowd, which deals with startups, um, re- reflects it. By the way, the um, on the BDS side, because you mentioned it, said so I saw this thing that a Jerusalem court ruled that two New Zealand BDS activists have to pay damages for their role in the cancellation of the scheduled Lord concert in Tel Aviv. We had spoken about this. Now, this is, I mean, I don't think there'll ever be any money exchange, but this is a pretty good tactic. And I'm does this happen often, by the way, when these. Uh, when these concerts are canceled because of BDS uh, activities, that that people actually go to court and and try to make a statement legally, it, I don't remember that it happening. What what the court ruled was that they had to compensate the ticket holders Correct. for the cost of the tickets, and that's a great disincentive yeah. to to the uh, BDSers and the boycotters if you if they uh, are held liable for the consequences of, of what they do. You want to do it, but you got to pay the price for it. Uh, I think that that is really a um, an important statement. The uh, one of the topics this week, of course, was what's going on along the Gaza border, and uh, every expert we had on, you know, as I asked the question, "How did we avoid war this summer?" Uh, unfortunately, said, you know, hate to break the news to you, but there could be, a, you know, there could be a war today. The way things are going over there, is there anything, any any update? regarding the PA and Hamas relationship, as, again, it was Hamas last week that we pointed out who was demanding a ceasefire with Israel. If anything, it's gotten worse that Abbas is, is protesting the oil shipments paid for by Qatar that Israel was allowing into Gaza, and Israel decided to go against the PA and to uh, allow it in. I mean, they, they were trying to build up to six or nine hours of electricity. Now it's, it's, it's shrinking. I think it's below four hours a day. And uh, the PA uh, uh, said that they were giving them a week to, to surrender. Um, they, they, uh, the tensions between them are, are increasing uh, uh, steadily, rapidly. Uh, and, and I just want to make one comment. There is a war in the South. That's why I'm, I'm saying that this, these campaigns, whether it's the incendiary devices, the attempts to cross the border, the shootings, the uh, bombs that they throw, 100 rockets and bombs in, in a, in a, over a weekend, it, it's, it's not an all-out war where you have Israel invading, but Israel, every day, Israeli soldiers face a hostile enemy, incited, paid for, obviously being, being armed uh, to... Um, attempt to kill and to enter the territory of Israel to kill Israeli soldiers to take territory to do uh, to hit this community. Well, then even Israeli media is not reminding the world enough that there's a war right now. Then yeah, because people get tired; they don't want to report every single day uh, uh, something happens. Uh, you know, the terror tunnel doesn't get the publicity that it used to get when they when they discovered it. And that's one of the reasons why I, I bring up and, and mention the statistics is because it, you've got to constantly be reminded about what what in reality Israel is facing. And, uh, you know, to, to whether there will be an all-out war, you know, when, when there's reports that Hamas says they're ready, they're not ready. Hamas, I don't believe, wants an all-out war with Israel. I don't think the people of Gaza want an all-out war uh, with Israel. I think they all understand the price that will be paid and that Israel... But how long can Israel tolerate the kind of uh, uh, daily incursions and threats it, it, there's got to be some point where they say no more, and they have hit them uh, with air strikes. They've hit them with missile strikes, and and the 
obviously the jihadists, the murderers, they don't kill, they don't care about um, uh, about the loss of civilian life. They want to encourage the deaths of of, uh, of civilians. And uh, you know when when the, again, obviously Israel is always judged by a double or a triple uh, standard. You know, you know what you mentioned before. In, in the in two years between 2015 and 17, um, 350 people were killed by jihadists across Europe, and terrorism became the number one public concern. So the the Europeans have poured money into counterterrorism. Some of them studying from Israel's examples, um, doing a, a more intelligence. Um, uh, things, but they've also introduced radical measures. I saw that uh, Austria deported 60 imams this year. Italy deported 300 plus extremists over the last two years. Britain took away um, uh, from uh, the citizenship for more than 100 suspected Islamic, uh, uh, you know, terrorists or extremists or whatever. What do they call? Oh, militants, I think, is the word that they that they uh, use. And you go country by country, and it's true. Where's the headlines? Israel, which faces a far more direct threat, and the the uh, European countries never get held to account. There are no UN resolutions. There's no challenge to it because it's what countries should do and must do. And the the um, and the number of attacks in 2018 were down. They say because of of um, them foiling uh, more of the attacks that uh, that have been taking place in Europe. Um, and now to uh, Iran and Syria for a moment. When the U.S., as you mentioned earlier, uh, insists that all Iranian Iranian-backed forces in Syria have to be removed, Syria ignores it, or do they react with some type of official reaction? Say it again. Does Syria, Syria react to Pompeo's statement, or they just ignore it? Oh, um well, as long as the Russians and others give them a blank check and they are not held to account either for the vast damage, killings, murders that have taken place, and someday when the true account of all of this is, is written, it's a, it's a really bloody record. Um, but, you know, if you don't not held to account, you do it and keep pressing ahead. And we know that they are, and they're, they've taken more territory back. We know that they have imposed harsh restrictions in places that they've recaptured. Uh, so I would say, by and large, they they have ignored it. But the United States uh, has put some consequences, and I think that you know they they uh, certainly we have sanctions on Syria, and sanctions work. We we see it against Iran, we see it against Turkey, we see them in in, in each case, the economic sanctions that when the United States economy is not available to, to countries, they. Uh, they suffer the consequences. And if you can't deal through the American banking system and use our, the SWIFT and the other um, uh, sort of transactional uh, uh, resources, it's really a, a big blow. And, and Syria till now, and, and the Russians are in there and they're active, and the S-300 was delivered. We don't know yet exactly what the deployment, who will run it, who will control it. And it will take some time until it's up and, and running. It'll take months, I think. But uh, just the presence there is, is significant. There was reports that Iran was evacuating the T4 uh, base, which is one of the places where Israel uh, was striking because uh, the Russians took over the, this military air base to put the S-300 air defense batteries there. And it's, this is one of the key Iranian positions uh, in Syria, and it's one 
places that Israel has highlighted in in the attacks, and supposedly there are also North Korean experts there, etc. So, <laughs> you know, it's a double, triple, quadruple standard. Uh, last week we pointed out the uh, because we had not spoken in a while what had happened between uh, Russia and Israel. Did that conversation ever take place this week between Netanyahu and Putin? He's supposedly uh, going there to visit, but uh, uh, I know that there have been discussions between uh, Israel and uh, uh, Russia, and it's, you've seen that that it uh, quieted down. But they're not relenting on the decision about. Uh, uh, putting in the missiles, and Israel has had to say that it will not stop their activities, that they will continue, that they can't be subject, that they they can negate uh, technologically the S-300, but, you know, you raise a price, as in this case, if if there are Russian soldiers manning these places and Israel has to neutralize them or find ways to avoid them, you, you create a circumstance where you could have more incidents involving um, you know Russians and, and Israel has done everything to avoid having casualties that's why they set up the system to the, or the warning system uh, that Israel notifies them bef- just before a strike um, takes place um, you know Malcolm this week I had a chance to really um, think back and reminisce because it's been it's now I believe almost 30 years that uh, we've done broadcasts from Israel and what what a difference what a different country it is in a way and we were we were lamenting and praising at the same time in a way it's a shame that the new generation doesn't realize what life was like there 30 years ago and obviously in a way it's wonderful that they're able to go and enjoy Israel the way it is right now and when you just think of the short and I'm not talking about pre-state to today I'm talking about just the last couple of decades when you think of the differences and the way Israel's viewed by the world and the way one can walk with confidence in the streets of Jerusalem or any other city in Israel it's simply remarkable and when you see young people can walk 12 o'clock at night, you see uh, boys and girls walking, you, uh, families walking in the streets, people aren't afraid, they're not looking over their shoulders when you, uh, and you know, go very often to Israel. I see change from visit to visit. I mean, you see new things, you see um, new additions to the skyline, the construction is unbelievable, the number uh, the uh, you know, the national bird, the crane, uh, everywhere. Um, you see the new institutions, new museums, new sites that have been created for, for people to visit and enjoy and explore Israel. It's it just constantly, we're, we're rediscovering our past and we're creating a new future. And it, it, because it's every day and it's taken for granted and people go to Yerushalayim, when I walk the streets, I think about exactly what you said. First of all, where we are when you go to Ir David and you see that you are reconnecting with your great, 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 great grandparents from, and walk where they walked and do what they did when they were Ola Regal and they went to Jerusalem. And, and people just take it for granted. We take all of this, and that's the danger. And we take for granted the threats. We become too inured to them, which is what our enemy wants. They want us to be silenced. They want us to be intimidated or, or just become bored. They know the media in America will... will you know, stop reporting it. And then if Israel responds, that becomes then the sole story and taken totally out of context. The immense uh, contributions Israel's making, we, we spoke to the head of the Israel Cancer Research Foundation about all the new innovations in cancer research, how much is going on in Israel today. 
the front line that will benefit all people. How many new discoveries are coming out of Israel in the medical and, and uh, area and, chemo- and um, medicines and other things, new new technologies? It's just, uh, to me, the part of the frustration is that, that we don't inculcate in our young the excitement, the beauty, the celebration of Israel. And all they read then are about terror attacks or about negative stories from the media. Right, or the BDSers on the college campuses. Or exactly, exactly. All right, thank you so much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. God willing, have a good Shabbos. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday's weekly update here at JM in the AM. This time each every Friday, every era of Shabbos. With great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Pashas Noach. In Pashas Noach, we encounter the second thousand years of civilization. There are two major sins that are addressed in the Parsha. Firstly, the door Hamabul, the generation that is destroyed by the flood, and secondly, the Dor Haflaga, the generation that's dispersed. Very quickly, regarding the first one, the generation of the flood, the Torah tells us, the earth became corrupt. The rabbis tell us that there was idolatry, there was immorality, and the Negzar, the Gzardin, was Hamas. That there was, unfortunately, violence, theft, and corruption man to man. And therefore, Hashem says, if there is no peace between man, there is no purpose for this world. The world was created, Olam Chesed Yibaneh. It was built on kindness. God, in his kindness, created man. The Gemara, in the last parak of Sanhedrin, describes and possibly because they had it too good, right? They had a beautiful environment and they would have to plant. And so, once in 40 years, and the harvests were plentiful, that they had enough to keep them going, and forgive me, maybe with too much free time on their hands, they put it, unfortunately, to wrong use rather than positive use. So Hashem destroys the door Hamabul. The second sin found at the end of the parsha in chapter 11 is introduced to us with the following terminology. The Torah says, Vayihi ko'ol ha'oretz sofa achas echos udvarim achadim. The whole earth was of one language and of unified words. The idea being that unfortunately, because they were all thinking alike, the thinking alike, as Rashi tells us, 
to us it sounds so foolish, but they were using their technology to try to rebel against Hashem. And Hashem says because they are unified in ideology, there is no room with such people to introduce a new idea. The new idea that's going to bring meaning and purpose to this world is at the very end of the Parsha with the birth of Avram Avinu. The world could not, would not, explains Ibn Ezra, except Avram Avinu or even listen to him if there had not been the dispersion whereby Hashem mixed up their language. They were all speaking initially Lashon HaKodesh, Hebrew. And then everybody began to speak 70 different languages. And so there was room for questioning. There was room for a new individual on the horizon called Avram Avinu. Now, I'd like to focus on three words in the Torah and to ask a very simple question. How many extra words are there in the Torah? And properly, you're going to say none. And you're right. However, take out the Chumash, bring it to the table, and open up to, easy to remember, Perek Zion, Pasuk 7, chapter 7, verse 7. And what does the Torah say? After Hashem instructs Noah initially to build the Teva, and he does so for 120 years. And now he says to him, Noah, get ready to come to the ark because you and your family I have found to be righteous and more important, you and your family are going to be saved. The Torah tells us in verse 7, Vayavu Noach, Noach comes, Uvanov, his sons, Ishto, his wife, Unashevanov, and his daughters-in-law, Ito el They come with him to the ark. Good. The Torah then concludes the verse with, Mipnei me hamabol, because of the waters of the flood. Now those words at first glance are superfluous. Why is he going in? He's going in because he trusts God and the prophecy that he received that the flood is coming momentarily. Now watch. Rashi quotes the Gemara. Rosh Hashanah 11a. And what does the Rashi say? Af Noach miktane amonahaya. Noach was one of those persons with little faith. What does that mean? Ma'amin, he believed ve'eno ma'amin, and did not believe fully that the flood would come. And he didn't go in and into the ark. Ad till the waters forced him in. The force of the waters forced him in. So Rashi says this is a deficiency 
in the character of Noah that he believed and didn't believe. So what's going on here? How could we say that he didn't believe if for 120 years he builds it and anybody asks him, hey Noah, what are you doing? And he tells them Hashem is going to bring a flood. And he prepares food for all and every animal. And miraculously goes out and takes seven additional pairs of animals which are going to be brought as we find later on in chapter 8 for the offerings, korbanos afterwards. How can we accuse Noah of being mamin ve'eno mamin? And I saw very beautifully explained in the Sefer Sum Darech by Rav Brody a very powerful idea. The Torah is getting into the pnemius, into the literally innards of the person. We're going to read next week in Lech Lecha, and a contrast between Noah and Avram, that Hashem says to Avram in the opening verse, Leave your father's home. Eschol I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you, you'll become rich. And uh, you'll be world famous. So who wouldn't take up God's proposal? So what does the Torah say right after that? That Avraham does and listens to God. Why? Because God commanded. He went for the right reason. He didn't go because he was looking for the money and the fame. He went because God said to go. And here, Noah is hesitating because he's not entering the ark for no other reason. Because God told him to. He's entering the ark because, uh uh-oh, I'm being pushed into the ark. It shows this little bit of a flaw in his character. But what does it mean to believe and not believe? Says the Kedushas Levi, Rablevi Yitzchak of Baditchev, a very powerful idea. Noach didn't believe. Do you know in whom he didn't believe? Noach didn't believe in himself. Noach didn't believe that he could change the circumstance. Noach doesn't pray for his generation. And that's why in the Haftorah, Yeshaya, in chapter 54, refers to the flood waters as May Noach. And he does so twice because the rabbis point an accusative finger and say, Noach, had you only believed in the efficacy of prayer, had you only believed that your prayer would make a difference, had you only believed that there is good in others, had you only believed that you spoken out to the people and told them that there's going to be a flood, that they would listen to you, very possibly you could have, should have changed the sad reality. And so there is a very powerful lesson to be learned from Noah, and that is that we are to believe in ourselves. And as we find regarding David HaMelech, on the one hand, a person is supposed to be not just modest, but excessively modest. However, through that modesty should come forth an incredible pride in one's belief in Hashem and in acting in accordance with 
that belief. So the first thing is that Noah, unfortunately, lacked that self-confidence and the belief in himself and the belief in others. And I don't have to tell you, but every single morning, when we say Modeh Ani, we thank God every morning for His renewing our lease on life. Hashem for giving us our soul back, giving us another chance. Because after all, when we sleep at nighttime, it is one sixtieth of death. And so, thank you, Hashem. And what do we say? Modeni lefanecha. I gratefully thank you, Melechai Vikayam, living and eternal God, for you have returned my soul within me, with compassion. And listen to the last part, last two words. Great and abundant is your faith. What does that mean, your faith? It should be great and abundant is my faith, the one who's saying the Moda'ani. And the answer is, we begin every day by saying, guess what? Hashem has faith in me. If Hashem has faith in me, guess what? I too will have faith in whatever comes my way. I can overcome it. And I can be there to be a mashpia on others. And I don't have to tell you, but too often we are afraid to approach other people. We're a little bit shy, we're a little bit nervous, we're a little bit ashamed. The bottom line is don't, don't. The idea is take that first step. Somebody doesn't come to shul for a couple of days, pick up the telephone and call. See if he's okay. It's going to go a long way. Somebody new comes to the Beis HaKnesses. Welcome that person. Don't rely upon somebody else. Each person, you be the one to welcome. You be the one. The person is going to feel that much more welcome and you are doing what you are to be doing. You are to be concerned about the next one. Yisrael Salanta says beautifully, the next one's Gashmias. I go shopping and I know there's a shut-in. And I call, what can I pick up for you? What can I get for you? So my concern for their physical well-being is really my ruchnius, is my spirituality. My spirituality is the concern for their everyday uh, needs. And so we are to be the Jewish people and or lagoyim, which is that we are to be a light unto the nations. And this comes about only when we have sufficient self-confidence in ourselves. And so I pray that we take it and understand that there are no extra words. And when the Torah says that Noah went in because of Me'amabul, because of the waters of the flood, which, quote, pushed him into the ark. It showed this flaw in his belief. May we learn from Noah a great sense of pride in listening to the word of Hashem. Shabbat Shalom to all.
Razel, Tzemin HaTeva. I bet you Mayor Weingarten was wondering if I'd remember to play that song today. <laughs> 18 minutes before the hour, it's JM in the AM as we start to wind things down for an amazing and incredible week. I want to thank everybody who was tuned in all week long during our shows from Israel. It was really a, uh, a wonderful, um, it was wonderful we were able to bring them to you. And I greatly appreciate all the compliments and comments. Thank you very much. Uh, Monday morning, we're back starting at 6 a.m. and not before we have some amazing programming all weekend. By the way, coming up, speaking of before the weekend, um, today at 9 o'clock, just minutes from now, literally minutes from now, Naomi Nachman is going to be presenting a table for two that she recorded 
overlooking the old city of Jerusalem. Danielle Renoff of Peas, Love, and Carrots. Um, Rachel Yaish and Tamar Lisman of Candy Corner, Israel. Ami Luria of the Shiloh Winery. Tova from Tova in Israel. Jamie Geller from Joy of Kosher. And Ronnie Timsey, the general manager of the Inbal, all are going to be included in the supersized table for two coming to you from the Inbal Hotel in Jerusalem. And that is happening just uh, 17 minutes from now. All right, so supersized table for two. That's Naomi Nachman coming up. Uh, Erev Shabbos Show with Mark Zamek. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Make sure to be tuned in. Harry Rothenberg at 1 p.m. with our video blog about Parshas Noah. Um, after that, it's the Erev Shabbos Music Mix from, uh, sponsored by our friends at Kedem. Saturday night, it's Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami. Sunday, it's Matis and JM Sunday from 7 a.m. until 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in. And of course, we're back here Monday morning with JM in the AM. More coming up. Here's Yisrael Werdiger.
Oh, my God. 
Incredible Moshe, yes, with his uh, rendition or version of Lachado D. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Noach, with candle lighting at 6 p.m. here in New York. 6 p.m., make sure you know when candle lighting is where you are. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in around the world. Support the amazing work of FJB, Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, and the Nachum Single Network and JM and the AM. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, and I thank you. What an amazing week it's been, to say the least. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM.
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and NachumSingle.com, on the NachumSingle Network, and of course, in the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing week. Don't forget that the supersized table for two from Jerusalem, from the Inbal, is coming up next. Naomi Nachum with Danielle Renoff of Peas, Love, and Carrots. Rachel Yaish and Tamara Lissman of Candy Corner Israel, Amichai Luria of the Shiloh Winery, Tova from Tova in Israel, Jamie Geller from Joy of Kosher, and Ronnie Timzi, general manager of the Inbal Hotel. It's all coming up next in the Arab Shabbos show. Mark Zamek presented by Kedem. Don't forget at 1 o'clock. It is the um, Harry Rothenberg video blog. This week it may be a drop later because everything's going to get pushed by the supersized table for two. Anyway, that's on Parsha's Noah, And then, of course, the Arab Shabbos Music Mix, sponsored by the wonderful people at Kedem. 
Tomorrow night, Saturday night, single with Avrami. And, of course, Sunday, JM Sunday with Matis between 7 and 9 a.m. Make sure to be tuned in. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Great weekend. Speak to you Monday. Tell the Nachum Single reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.